welcome everybody joining us across all of our physical locations and those of you joining us online. And if this happens to be the first time that you're tuning in, uh, you've uh, picked a really great day to do that because we are starting a new series of messages. We'll be in for the next four weeks together called Let's Talk About It. And I, I really do believe that God's going to speak and that this is going to help a lot of people. And really, the, the big idea around this is uh, it's uh, no surprise for me to say to you that the past year has been filled with all kinds of unexpected challenges that none of us ever saw coming. Uh, last March, we were thrown into a once-in-a-century global pandemic that none of us know how to deal with because we don't have any personal experience with it. We've just read about it in history books and it's sort of turned all of our lives upside down. And, and even today, it just sort of uh, dominates um, the media and we can't go a single day without being reminded of it. And so there's that pandemic that's always in front of us. But what I want to uh, suggest to us today is that there is also another a pandemic that is going on kind of underneath the surface that doesn't get nearly as much coverage or attention. And it's the uh, mental and emotional health pandemic. Uh, we might even say that it's the pandemic um, behind the pandemic. And according to uh, one uh, research by the Kaiser Foundation, they, they pointed out that right now, one out of two of us are wrestling with mental and emotional health challenges. Now, I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. One out of two. That's 50% uh, of us, um, either you or the person next to you. Uh, if you're in an auditorium, that's 50% of the auditorium. If you're in a living room, that's half of the people in, the, in your living room wrestling with some sort of mental or emotional health challenge. The CDC uh, listed a, a report uh, not long ago, saying that um, in the past year, one out of four young adults have seriously contemplated taking their life. That's tragic. We see that um, divorce rates are up, cases of domestic and child abuse are up, anxiety and depression is up. Right now, um, new um, addictions are being developed and old ones are resurfacing. And this has been true in any plague and pandemic through history. In fact, a Roman emperor and philosopher by the name of Marcus Aurelius said this in the second century during a plague. He said, the corruption of the mind is a far more serious pestilence than the physical one that corrupts the body. Now that's his way of saying that they were dealing with mental and emotional health challenges during that plague. In April of 2020, they did a survey trying to kind of gauge our emotional wellness as a society. And they were comparing it to 2019 numbers. And so uh, overall feelings of enjoyment were at 83% of us in 2019, but it was down to 64% in 2020. Feelings of worry, 35% in 2019, but it increased to 52% in 2020. Feelings of sadness, 23% in 2019, it increased to 32% in 2020 and then feelings of anger, 15% of us in 2019, but it increased to 24% this year. See, we're, we're all feeling it. And we're feeling it in a variety of ways. And so let's talk about it. And I want you to know that this is a safe place for us to talk about these kinds 
of issues. And I, I don't know, maybe your experience with church kind of taught you that this wasn't a safe place to talk about some of these mental and emotional health challenges you were going through. And maybe um, you had a well-meaning um, Christ follower kind of suggest to you that you shouldn't talk about it. This is this kind of issues that you should sort of keep to yourself. And I think one of the things about mental health um, is that we oftentimes um, keep it to ourselves, and then we feel like we're the only one. We feel like we're the only one that's dealing with this. We feel like we're the only one that's feeling this. I mean, when you look at everybody else from the outside in, I mean, they look like they got it all together. I mean, social media, everybody looks happy. And so that can feel even more isolating. And then you're in a season of a pandemic where we're told to isolate and it just accentuates the problem. And, and I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to talk about some of these issues because just look around. 50% of us are wrestling with it right now, if, if not more. And so over the course of these next four weeks, I want to encourage you to join us because we're going to talk about um, addiction, anxiety, and depression. And today I want to talk about anger. And, I, and I've started with anger because I really do believe that our um, inability to really process and express our anger is feeding the addiction, the anxiety, and the depression. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, well, this sounds like an awesome series. <laughs> kind of sounds like a real downer. And uh, I want you to know it's not going to be a downer. Uh, I, I want to, I mean, we're all living through it right now. We might as well talk about it openly, but I want you to know that God's word has a lot to say about these subjects. And every single week, I'm going to give you um, help and hope from God's word. Even at, like even wherever you may be spiritually, like you may be here and you're like, I don't know that I um, believe in God. I don't know that I would follow after Jesus just yet. I'm not quite sure that I believe what's in the Bible, but I want you to know that the wisdom from God's word can provide help and hope. And oftentimes that's where our spiritual journey begins is that we see how helpful and hopeful God's word is. And so I wanna uh, extend some lifelines to you. That if you're drowning in addiction, anxiety, depression, or anger, that there is some help and there is some hope. And I want you to know that you're not the only one. That we're all wrestling through this. If I'm being really, really honest, that I, I've struggled with each one of these, even in this particular season that we're in. So here's what I, I think is, is happened. This is sort of like the recipe for explosive anger, is that right now we're dealing with um, public health challenges, the pandemic, which has then sort of triggered all this economic strain. And then we're told to isolate. So we're, we're personally kind of isolated from one another. There's all this social tension. There's political division, which has then led to paralyzing anxiety and fear. And that is the perfect recipe for explosive anger that comes out in ways that sets us back in our emotional and spiritual health. It uh, puts distance between us and our relationships and it, it distances us and our connection to God. And so let me go ahead and just offer this definition of um, anger. So that way we're just kind of all on the same page. Anger is a strong feeling. It's an emotion of sorts. It's something that we feel and it's a feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. So, uh, how many of us have expressed uh, displeasure or hostility towards someone just in the past month? <laughs> Any of us? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all have. How many of you have been the recipient of somebody else's displeasure 
or hostility online. Right? I, I think that the bulk, uh, because of the isolation and because we're online more, I think that a lot of the explosive anger that's dividing us and causing all kinds of anxiety is, is happening to us online. And so here's where we, I think we need to begin when we talk about anger. Is the first thing that I just really want you to know right away is that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. It is a very real and I would even say helpful emotion. Let me say it as plainly as I can. It is not a sin to be angry, but anger is kind of like fire, right? Like within the certain confines, it's, it's, it's good, but when you get it outside of that, it'll burn your house down. And so we've got to be very careful with how we process and express our anger. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a very real emotion. And actually by not sort of being honest about that, then, then we set ourselves up for it to be destructive in our lives. Jesus got angry and he demonstrated that anger. When they turned the temple into a marketplace, he got angry and he expressed it. Jesus got angry one time when somebody criticized him for healing somebody on the Sabbath. And he was like, listen, he was like, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus got angry when he saw injustice in all of its forms. In fact, um, there are some things that merit our anger, that, that we should get angry when we see abuse or injustice or racism. In fact, the, the Bible has a term for this. It's called righteous indignation. Ephesians 4, 26 says it so plainly. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. So you can feel angry, but don't let it control you. One translation of that passage says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. And when I say sin, that is shorthand for setting you back emotionally and spiritually, damaging your relationships or distancing yourself from God. And there is a way to be angry and not sin. But can I just say that it's really, really challenging. There are all kinds of pitfalls for us to fall into. And so when we are feeling angry, when, when something angers you, I think we got to stop and we have to recognize it for what it is. It is a symbol of some kind. It's a signal of some kind. It's kind of like uh, on your, uh, the dashboard of your car, whenever like the red light comes on, that, that's a signal that there's something happening under the hood that you need to pay attention to right away. And it alerts us to the fact that, that we need to do some, something uh, inside, like some heart and some mind work that we need to deal with. And we need to learn to listen to it. We need to learn to process it instead of, here's what oftentimes we have a tendency to do. And maybe you might be in one of these two camps when you're beginning to feel angry is we either stuff it or we spew it. And both of those things are so damaging and so unhealthy. In fact, there may be some of you right now that are like, like automatically when I talk about this, you're like, yep, I got an anger problem. And more than likely it's because maybe you've got a short fuse, you got a hot temper and you just kind of let it go all the time. You just, your emotions are on your sleeve. And there's others of you maybe like, oh, I'm, I'm really, I don't know that I really wrestle with, with anger. I'm, I'm pretty chill. But here's the thing is that maybe most of the time you don't, but what happens is you stuff it, you stuff it, you stuff it, and eventually you turn into the Incredible Hulk. And you just kind of like goes off on, and you're like, where in the world that come from? Well, it's been simmering there for a while. 
See, it's, it's not anger that is destructive to our lives and relationships. It is unprocessed anger. And so can I just take a quick minute to just ask you right now, are you angry? Just stop and slow down enough right now just to feel that. Or are you angry? And if the answer is yes, there is nothing wrong with that. There's all kinds of things to be angry about right now. Our world is severely broken. And if there's anything that the pandemic has shown us is that it sort of pulled the curtain back to show us how broken it really is. And maybe you've lost a job or you've lost a source of income. You're angry about that. You know what? I don't blame you. And maybe right now you're, you're angry because of what somebody said or did online. Maybe you're angry at your spouse or your kids. Maybe you're angry at some coworkers. Maybe you're angry how the election went down. Maybe you're angry because uh, you're told to wear a mask. Maybe you're angry because you don't think enough people are wearing a mask. We got all kinds of anger issues going on in our life right now. I just want you to sit in this moment right now to go, you know what? I totally get it. And it's a very real emotion that all of us, all of us are feeling. So how do we process it? You see, just because you're angry doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong or that you have sinned. However, there is a line where in our anger we sin. So the question is, where's the line? And I'm really glad you asked that. So let's talk about it. What I want to do is point us to Exodus chapter 17. If you have a Bible or a Bible uh, device with a Bible on it, go ahead and turn to Exodus 17. Because uh, we find an example of the Israelites um, feeling angry and they didn't process it well and they crossed the line. And uh, just to give a, a little bit of context here, the Israelites are God's chosen people and they uh, have been taken against their will by a ruthless leader by the name of Pharaoh. And they are in slavery and God raises up an imperfect leader by the name of Moses. Every leader is imperfect and Moses demonstrates all of that. And Moses goes reluctantly. He didn't, he didn't want to be used in this way, but he goes and, and he, he, he goes nose to nose with Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh just flips and flops. He decides to let him go. Then he changes his mind. He just goes back and forth and back and forth. And uh, if you read through the Israelite story, God is delivering them from slavery into the promised land, but it is not a straightforward path from point A to point B. It never is. It's filled with lots of zigs and zags and, and uh, twists and turns and challenges and difficulties and pain. And here's the thing, as you read through the Israelite story, every time they get themselves in a bind, like when their back is against the wall, God comes through at just the right time, but rarely according to their perfect time. And he always delivers them. And it's miraculous. And the Israelites initially are so grateful and they're humble and they worship and they thank God. But then they're a lot like you and me. They suffer from short-term memory loss. And they forget how faithful God was to bring them through that challenge or that calamity. And they begin to let their anger begin to brim to the surface once again. And we see it boil up and over in verse 1. It says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of Sin. That's just short for Sinai. And they moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim. 
but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, meaning this wasn't the first time, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Now already, I see all kinds of things wrong with this. Now, first of all, I would say, um, totally understandable that they would be upset that they didn't have water. That's a bad thing, not to have water. But they didn't handle it very well. Instead of voicing a concern or asking a question, they complained against the very leader who had risked his own neck to help deliver them out of slavery. They didn't make a request. They laid down a demand more than once, meaning this had become a destructive pattern of behavior in the Israelites' lives. They, they, they had anger had them in its grip and they weren't even fully aware of it. Moses had anger issues up for, of his own. Look at verse two. Quiet! Moses replied, why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? I don't, I don't blame him. Moses is frustrated and angry and upset. And so what does he do? He pushes back on the Israelites with his own angry response. What I want you to see is that it doesn't do a lick of good. Look at verse three. But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did he bring us out of Egypt? And then the next question is just absolutely stunning. Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? And this is where if I was in Moses' sandals, my spiritual gift of sarcasm would have been front and center. I would have been like, yep, you got me. I risked my neck to get you out of slavery just so that I could bring you out here and kill you. I mean, it's like, what in the world? Are, you know what this is? This is um, doom and gloom talk. This is worst case scenario. This, this is conspiracy theories. Like, well, I heard from somebody, Moses, that you're just in this for yourself and you just really had it out for us and you, you wanted to bring us out here and kill us in our, in our thirst. And I believe that verse four is the pivotal moment that de-escalated the situation and changed everything. And it's subtle. Look at verse four. Then Moses, he didn't yell back at the people. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Did you see that? He shifted his focus and he says, God, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. See, instead of yelling back at them as he had done before, because obviously that didn't do any good, it just continued to escalate the situation. He, he shifts his, his gaze to God and he says, God, would, would you help me here? And notice God's response to him in verse five. Walk out in front. In other words, you set the example, Moses. Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. Here's what God says to Moses. He goes, Moses, stop reflecting the anger of the Israelites and be a leader. Be a leader and don't go alone. And could we take that same word from the Lord and receive it into our own lives? Right now, instead of reflecting the fear and the anger of our culture, especially for those of us who are Christ followers, be a leader. Go against the grain. Run against the flow. Choose to uh, live your life with poise and conviction instead of just inflaming the situation with our own fear and control issues. 
Shift our gaze from the person that we might be getting angry with to God. Be a leader. Right now, more than ever, we need leaders who will not reflect the anger of society, but be a manifestation and amplify the peace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Right now, more than I'm fully convinced that right now, more than ever, a watching world is looking at how Christ followers are handling themselves and it is either making Jesus more attractive or less. Be a leader. God says, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. <laughs> Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. I love this. It is this and God doesn't say, hey, find the water fountain. He doesn't even say, hey, go to the river. No, he goes, go to a, who goes to a rock to get water? This is God flexing. <laughs> this is God saying, watch what I can do if you'll just be obedient to me. And it says the water came gushing out and then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. I mean, we read that so passively, but I mean, can you just imagine being Moses for a minute? You just got your staff, you're on the rock. You're like, I don't know. Here we go. I'm going to look like a fool. And all this water comes gushing out. And Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? You asked that question in the past year? I have. God, are you with us or not? God, where are you in the midst of this crazy situation? Now, what can we take from the passage? How, how, can we, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I think that there are a lot of things right now that very understandably can evoke feelings of anger in all of our lives. And I don't think that the answer is to spew it. And I don't think the answer is to stuff it. So, so what are we to do? I think that we need to process it before we express it. And when we express it, it needs to be constructive rather than destructive. We want to process our anger in such a way that it doesn't cause damage to ourselves, our relationships, or our connection to God. And I got to tell you that uh, anger issues are something that God just continues to take me to the mat on over and over again. Like in my life, it kind of feels like I maybe have gotten a handle on some of my anger issues and then I just find myself in a new season. And... Uh, there are times when my anger might come out and really, I would say most of the time, it doesn't have, rarely does it have anything to do with the specific set of circumstances that I'm in. It has everything to do with something else that is going on in my heart. And all that, all that was in front of me, it just sort of brought it to the surface and reminded me of some heart work that I needed to do. So several years ago, we were on vacation in the Outer Banks and uh, we went, there's a section of the beach there, if any of you've ever been, where you can take your vehicle out on the uh, sand, but you need to let air out of your tires so that way you don't get stuck. So we did that, had a nice drive on the beach, get back out on the road and there's a little gas station right there where you can then uh, put air back in your tires before you, uh, before you go on. Yeah, but it's a tiny little gas station, posted stamp parking lot, not much room. There's only one parking stall that accesses the air hose. And so I pull in there, it's a really crowded parking lot and there's a pickup truck parked in the parking stall that I need to air up the tires. So I'm, I'm, I park right behind, I'm kind of waiting. And uh, these two gentlemen come out of the convenience store and uh, I don't know who they were, I don't know their names, but uh, in my mind, they were uh, Johnny and Billy Bob. That's just what they look like. And uh, they came out with corn dogs and sodas. 
That's Johnny and Billy Bob. And, and I thought, okay, they got their lunch. They're going to get in the truck. They're going to leave. But they didn't. Instead, they sat on the hood and ate their lunch. And all, they knew I was there. Oh, they knew I was there. They, they turned back and even looked at me and kind of gave me that look like, well, you know, uh, we don't care. And they knew that was the spot that I needed because that was the only parking stall that accessed the hose and they could tell that our tires were low. And so I'm sitting there and I'm starting to fume. I'm getting upset, but I didn't say anything. I'm just kind of waiting, I'm waiting, being patient. But then what triggered it was there was a delivery truck that pulled in right behind us and they were trying to get to the back of the convenience store, but they couldn't get around me to get, it, to, get to the store. But I didn't want to move because then I'd give up my spot in line. And so I'm just kind of waiting and I'm like, come on, Johnny, Billy Bob, like, let's go. And uh, the driver of the delivery truck started laying on his horn, honking at, at me. So now all of a sudden I've become the bad guy. And that just set me off. And, and I'm not proud of this, but I get out of the truck and I slam the door and I start walking towards the delivery driver truck. And I, and I start doing this and I go, where do you expect me to go? And then I noticed that he was a much larger man than me. <laughs> so I was like, so, you know, just think about that. All right. And got back in the truck and I was kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I kind of let him have it. And I kind of, but I turned around and I could see my eight-year-old daughter and she was in tears. And all this, she said these words that pierced my heart. She said, Daddy, I don't like it when you get that way. And it was as if the Holy Spirit just kind of took me to the mat. Like, where did that come from? And you know what? It had nothing to do with Johnny and Billy Bob. It had nothing to do with the delivery truck driver. It actually had something to do with just the season I was in of, of stress and anxiety. And I'd been stuffing it. And it came out sideways in an unexpected way. And you know who um, actually the residual damage of that was my kids. See, that's how explosive anger works. When you're feeling angry, we need to stop and say, what's happening under the surface? You've probably seen a, this picture of an iceberg before and the iceberg, we, we see what's happening above the surface, but there's actually a whole lot going on beneath the surface. And what's happening above the surface, that's usually what we kind of let other people see. You know, the, the face that we put on, the, the presence that we put on social media from an outside looking in, just kind of looks like everything's okay, but there's all this stuff going on underneath the surface that we may, or in most cases, may not be likely in tune with. And see, this is where explosive anger comes from. It's the stuff that's brewing underneath the surface. And so if we really want to get a hold of our anger, that's where we have to go first. We can do this in a variety of ways. We can do this through counseling. We can do this through extended conversations. We, it, it, this is what uh, the, the um, psalmist was getting at in verse one, chapter 139, verse 1. He says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. See, we want to get a handle on explosive anger. That's where we have to begin. Is we've got to lay ourselves before God and say, God, would you please examine my heart? What is going on underneath the surface that I need to process? Not long ago, there was a study done by Cornell University and they, they wanted to know uh, if there was a, a trait uh, that most successful CEOs had in common. 
And it didn't have anything to do with IQ. It didn't have anything to do with their ability to strategize. What they found was that the most successful CEOs had uh, a great self-awareness. Self-awareness defined is a conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. Maybe a little easier way of saying that is when you are self-aware, you know what it's like to be on the other side of you. When you are self-aware, you know uh, how you make other people feel. And whenever we don't have much self-awareness, that's when we can very easily fall into the pit of explosive anger. See, the Israelites had a lot going on under the hood, so to speak, within their hearts that they weren't fully aware of. And the result was um, constant complaining, making demands, divisive arguing, cynicism, conspiracy theories, doom and gloom, and worst case scenarios. Does any of that sound familiar? And in verse three, they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? You, you wanna know what that question is? That question is a direct result of something called an amygdala hijack. And an amygdala hijack is a personal emotional response that is immediate. In other words, we don't take time to process it. It's overwhelming and it's out of measure with the actual stimulus because it has triggered a much more significant emotional threat. In other words, it is an emotional overreaction. And we don't take time to be self-aware. We don't take time to, to really process how this is coming out. And over the past 10 months, we have been in a set of circumstances that is prime for an amygdala hijack. Whether that's online, whether that's road rage, whether that's saying something to somebody who lives under your own roof and something just sort of sets you off and something gets triggered. See, when we explode in anger, what, what's really happening? I might suggest this, explosive, destructive anger is a form of grasping for control when I feel like I have no control. And so we're in a pandemic. Don't feel like I have any control. We're in an economic downturn. Don't feel like I have control. There's all this political division. Don't feel like I have any control. I don't feel like I have a voice. And so when we get fearful and when we feel like we don't have control, that's prime for explosive anger. You know, we see this in the life of Peter. Peter was a guy that had problems with his anger and we, we see it all culminate in the garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And Peter has this whole world flipped upside down. You wanna know why? Because Peter kept thinking, no matter how many times Jesus corrected him, Peter kept thinking that Jesus was here to usher in an earthly kingdom. He thought Jesus was gonna run for office. And he thought, I'm gonna have a front row seat to Jesus' reign and rule. This is gonna be great. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of an instant, Peter's expectations come crumbling because now the Roman soldiers seek to arrest Jesus. And Jesus even had just told him, he goes, I'm, gonna, I'm going to lay my life down. And Peter just couldn't get his head around that. And he was fearful and he felt like he didn't have any control. And so what does he do? You remember that scene where he literally, not figuratively, he literally takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers by the name of Malchus. What is that? That's Peter lashing out in anger 
and he cuts off his ear. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't turn to him and go, oh man, way to go. Chest bump. That's awesome. No, Jesus, I think he gives him this look. He just goes, Peter. And he bends down and he grabs the ear of Malchus and he snaps it back onto his head like a Lego block. And he undoes the explosive anger that Peter had just demonstrated. And it stunned everybody. You want to know, Jesus, without even saying any words, he said, Peter, would you let go of the control that you think you have to the one who is in control? And so right now today, there's all kinds of things that can make us feel angry. I want to encourage you to practice a little Psalm 139. And when you begin to feel angry, just stop for a minute and go, God, would you please examine my heart? Like what's going on underneath the surface? And then this is an opportunity for you once again, instead of grasping for control, to let go of that control to the one who is in control. But I want to give you a few practical handles here, some helps uh, as, we, as we wrap up. So there's, there's just a few of these that I want to give to you if you're taking notes. The first thing is this, I think this will help just kind of dismantle some of the explosive anger is that when you feel yourself getting angry, particularly online, don't drop a comment, but have a conversation. See, comments don't get us anywhere. Conversations really help bridge the gap. And I I don't know how, how many times, have you ever noticed that we will say stuff to each other over a keyboard we would never say to somebody's face? Um, occasionally, if I get uh, uh, a comment or a DM or an email that is particularly mean-spirited and untrue, and I, and I have their phone number, occasionally I'll, I'll call them. And hands down, every single time I've done it, the tone changes and we have a good conversation. It just changes the whole dynamic. So can I just say that if you read something online from someone, and you don't know them, just keep scrolling. If you know them and you really have an issue with it, just reach out to them, send them a DM, say, hey, I'd really like to understand where you're coming from. Can we have coffee? Can we have a phone conversation? Instead of these explosive hand grenades that we throw back and forth into each other's comments, walls, it doesn't do any good. It just further entrenches us and creates more echo chambers. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, it says, people with understanding control their anger and a hot temper shows great foolishness. Here's the second practical handle. Choose to respond rather than react. If we could just respond rather than react, it would change a lot. And I'm convinced that if we could apply this simple step, it would eliminate 99% of the destructive anger that we all experience. I know this is true for me. Like if, if I get angry about something, I just need to uh, call it the 24-hour rule. I just need to not do or say anything for 24 hours. Just let my emotions simmer down a little bit. Let me pray about it. Let me get a good night's sleep. Let me reach out to two or three trusted people who I know have a lot of wisdom and ask them for their objective insights on this rather than just responding via my subjective emotions. And almost always it changes the way that I would respond. God's word just affirms this. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. 
The third thing is refuse to stereotype people from a distance. And right now, in this season of distancing, we are away from each other and we're communicating a lot online and it's so easy just to sort of create a narrative in your head about where you think somebody is politically or socially based upon certain terminologies or words. I mean, right now we are so, so divided. And so if somebody speaks out against racism, you go, well, you must be left-leaning. Well, if they speak up for the unborn, you must be right-leaning. Hey, we need to reopen for the economy. Well, you must be right-leaning. No, we need to stay locked down in order to preserve lives. Well, you must be left-leaning. Hey, you need to wear a mask. Left-leaning. Demask us. Right-leaning. Get the vaccine. Left-leaning. I'll never get the vaccine. Right-leaning. And we've created this stark division that has come into the body of Christ. And more than ever, we need to stop yelling at each other and crying out to the Lord. In 1 Peter, hey, and by the way, uh, if you don't already know, social media just preys on this. It's called algorithm. And they just accentuate the echo chambers. So that what that means is they look at who you follow. They look at where you go online. They, they try to guess what you think your personal and political convictions are. And that's all they feed you. Which is why I like to follow people and things that they don't think a pastor will follow. Just to mess up the algorithm. It's a lot of fun. You should try it. First Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters, because that's what you are. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. He's not suggested it. He's called you to it. And he will grant you his blessing. Last thing, listen with an open mind rather than just speaking your mind. I don't know how many times this has been true when somebody has said something a little bit sideways and when I really sit down to investigate, really all they needed was just to know that they were being heard. They just needed a voice. They just need somebody to process this with. It doesn't mean you, by listening, it doesn't mean that you're all affirming. It doesn't mean that you agree. You're just listening to them because they're a human being. And God has called us to unity. And how do we stay unified when we disagree about so much? By fixing our gaze upon Jesus. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So have personal and political convictions, by all means. Don't put your hope in them. Put your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I just don't get Christ followers that fall into doom and gloom, worst case scenarios and conspiracy theories. I don't get it. You're just following after the behavior of our ancestors, the Israelites. God has called you to hope. There is a reason. The number one command in scripture is fear not. Because when we're in fear, there is no room for faith. When, when fear has its grips on you, the next step is explosive anger. And how do we get free from it? I don't know about you, but Whenever there has been a time in my life when I did something or said something foolish and it really hurt somebody and they had every right to be angry with me, but instead of lashing out at me, they gave me grace. 
they let me off the hook. They forgave me genuinely. I gotta tell you, that is so humbling. You know how many times God has been gracious to me in my inconsistency? You know how many times God has every right to be angry with me, but instead he gives me grace. You know how many times I've said to God, God, I'll never do it again. And I do it again. You know how many commitments I've made to God that I've broken? If there's anybody that has any right to be angry with our inconsistency, it's God. And yet he chooses grace. He chose to gave the life of his only son so that we could be set free. Therefore, the only antidote to explosive anger in our lives is grace. And if you are having a hard time with explosive anger, you got to really stop and you got to ask yourself, have I really received grace? Like, really? Because I bet you that if you're expressing anger all the time towards others, more than likely, you're pretty angry with yourself. What I found is that I think that God has a far easier time forgiving us than what we have forgiving of ourselves. He laid down the life of his son so that you could be set free, that you wouldn't be caught in that trap any longer. And grace is the only lasting antidote to anger. Psalm 103 verse eight says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is slow to get angry and he is filled with unfailing love. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for a God who is slow to get angry? That he doesn't stuff it or spew it, but he's slow and he is filled with compassionate love for you and for me. So if we can just even receive a portion of that, don't you think that we might be able to be people who live and extend that to others? Because right now in this season, the world does not need more anger. The world does not need more paranoia. The world does not need people perpetuating more worst case scenarios. The world needs citizens of heaven with poised feet and steady hands and humble hearts who are willing to point people to the grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling angry, totally understandable. Be a leader and receive the grace that is made available to you so that you can perpetuate that grace in the midst of a really divisive and hurting world. Lord God, we come to you today and I ask that over this next four weeks that you would speak loudly and clearly to these issues that touch every single one of our lives, either us personally or someone we know. And so God, as we kick it off, I just, we just wanna collectively ask you to examine our hearts that even just this afternoon, as we go through our day, that, that your spirit would uh, maybe bring some things into our uh, conscience, that you'd point out some things that maybe we need to deal with under the hood, so to speak, because anger is really just a signal of something deeper that's going on. And God, I pray that as people who are saved by grace, that we would be people who would live in that grace and freely give it to others because that's what sets us apart. The world does not need more people perpetuating or mirroring the division and the anger that is already out there. The world needs citizens of heaven 
who will be leaders and demonstrate the way of grace. Because as much as we love our country, this isn't our final destination. We are citizens of heaven and we wanna represent you well. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.